0: morning, everyone. Me. Father, we thank You so much that Your Son was willing to become sin on that cross in our place, receive the punishment that our sins deserve, and that He lived that perfect, sinless life, perfect righteousness that He was willing to give to us and put it to our account. We come this morning wanting to see Christ exalted and lifted up, receiving the glory and praise that he deserves in response to the great sacrifice that has been made for us. We thank you for the power in your word to sanctify and cleanse us, and we pray for that to take place during this time. Thank you for recording so accurately um, the lives of some of the greatest men in Scripture and how even they struggled to finish well so that we could learn from their examples. And so I pray we would, that we wouldn't be taken for granted or lost on us what took place with these men um i pray i would just be your vessel lord to deliver the wonderful deep truths of your word to your people as they come here hungry and thirsty spiritually to be ministered to you through um, the scriptures and so help us to learn from these men we talked about this morning understanding how to finish well why these men didn't finish well how we can finish well and to apply the wisdom that you've given us in our lives to walk in it and not just be those who gain knowledge and truth but to to be ones who live it out in our lives and we pray that by your grace and the power of the gospel in our hearts that that can be the case we pray these things in jesus name amen you can open your bibles to second chronicles 24. that's where we'll be in second chronicles looking at two chapters so this morning's sermon is wisdom needed to finish well part two we've been in a series that we're probably coming toward the end of called pursuing wisdom spent a few weeks studying Solomon wisest man to ever live and ironically the at some point uh, later he looked like the most foolish man to ever live and we learn from his life that it doesn't matter how much wisdom you have if you don't do what with it yeah if you don't apply it or walk in it and we also learn from solomon's life that it doesn't matter how well you start it matters how well you finish listen to this verse about solomon first kings 11 4. it says when solomon was old his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father and the part that surprised me most about this verse wasn't that Solomon's heart was turned away from the Lord but when his heart was turned away from the Lord when he was old after he had spent some number of years or decades serving God so faithfully and so he finished and also that he this took place after he had been given all that wisdom in every single respect solomon ended up being a worse person after being given all that wisdom from god and so it just shows us how important it is to apply wisdom to finish well um, and walk in that wisdom that god has given us if solomon was the only example of this in scripture then i wouldn't have developed any sermons on this topic but the fact is after considering that solomon uh, didn't finish well I, there are other kings that the same thing can be said of them, and so it's a theme. that deserves attention. When God is repetitive in Scripture, then He wants to make sure we don't miss something, and it shows that this topic or idea is important, and therefore it should, important to God for Him to repeat it so much, and therefore it should be important to us, and so Solomon is far from the only example of a king who failed to finish. Well, we've been looking at some of those examples, because I do think it's so important. In the first sermon, the other examples besides Solomon were Saul, Hezekiah, and Asa. I left them on your handouts. This morning, we'll look at two more examples, and then next week, we'll look at our last example. I couldn't fit all three of them into this sermon. Next week's example is a little longer, requires a little more um, exposition of the verses. So, we'll look at that individual in isolation. But for this morning, our next example, number five, is Joash. So, these kings reveal it's hard to finish well. Example five, Joash. talked about Joash a couple years ago so I won't spend too much time on him but I do want to remind you he was that um, child king he was raised in the temple does anyone remember who's who Joash's grandmother was Athaliah who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel so Ahab and Jezebel they had the dynasty in the northern kingdom of Israel and their daughter Athaliah married a king of Judah and she wanted to keep the nation of judah the throne of judah for for her father for the house of ahab she did not want it to return to the the dynasty of david and so she was used by the devil to try to destroy the davidic line and to try to destroy the davidic line is really try to try to destroy the messianic line preventing uh, jesus from coming into the world and so what she does is when her son is killed her evil son is killed she decides to slaughter all of her own grandchildren so that the Davidic line comes to an end and when she's going about on this you know murderous escapade someone very wisely was able to take Joash as a baby and steal him away in the temple where he could be raised and Joash I mean that's the closest that the messianic line ever got to being removed if if Joash had been killed there would have been no other descendants of David through which the Messiah would come into the world and so in this very dramatic moment joash ends up being stolen kept away in the temple uh, had to be hidden there because if athaliah had any idea that he was alive she would have she would have uh, killed him and they wanted to there was never really a time that judah had a queen instead of a king but the closest it ever was was when athaliah was in a sense on the throne ruling the nation and so they wanted to get her removed as soon as possible because she was so wicked and so as soon as joash was seven years old they made him king just so that they and so that they could remove Athaliah and so look with me in chapter 24 verse 1 about this young child who experienced one of the most unique um, upbringings in all of scripture I mean imagine that just being raised in the temple itself verse 1 says Joash was seven years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem his mother's name was Zibia of Beersheba and here it is Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and unfortunately the verse doesn't stop right there it says during all the days of Jehoiada the priest do you see in that verse a hint at him struggling to finish well what kind of gives it away it doesn't say that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord period says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest which begs the question or kind of gives you this nagging question well what happened when Jehoiada the priest wasn't alive anymore Jehoiada was his godly adoptive father he was the priest in the temple that raised him along with uh Joash's wife and they did a great job with him or I mean along with uh Jehoiada's wife and so they were they were Joash's adoptive parents they pointed him to the Lord and as long as they were in his life influencing him he did wonderfully he restored the temple uh but you kind of wonder well what happened when when Jehoiada died take a look at verse 15. Jehoiada grew old and full of days and he died he was 130 years old at the time of his death and so when this happened this leaves a huge vacuum in Joash's life all of the years up to this point he has been under the influence of this godly man Jehoiada and now he's not on the on the scene anymore and so the question well who or what is going to fill this vacuum in his life and sadly it ended up being these ungodly influential people that came to him look at verse 17. now after the death of jehoiada the princes of Judah—so these are prominent influential men they come and they pay homage to the king and so what did this appeal to for joash when these prominent influential men come to him and pay him homage what does it appeal to his pride or his flesh right and it says that unfortunately the king or joash listened to them they abandoned verse 18 the house of the lord the same house or temple that joash had just uh, spent a considerable amount of time and energy restoring so they turned from the temple from the god of their fathers they start serving idols the ashram and other idols and then wrath came upon judah and jerusalem for this guilt of theirs even though joash turned from the lord god graciously reaches out to him to see him repent look at verse 20 it says the spirit of God clothed Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest and if we just pause right there I want you to think about this 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 is the son of the man that raised him and so what so Zechariah is the son of Joash's adoptive father which means Zechariah would be very much like what to him like his brother they had grown up together He would have been as much a brother to him as anyone that you would live with and spend your life with so i can't say for sure why god sent um zechariah to go and confront joash but if you if you force me to tell you my suspicion is that he thought if there's anyone that would listen to him it would be his stepbrother i mean this is the one man in his life second only to his father who has passed away that joash had the most likelihood of listening to and so zechariah comes to joash and he says to him thus says god why do you break the commandments of the lord so that you cannot prosper because you have forsaken the lord he has forsaken you now at this moment joash faces the same two choices all of us face when we're rebuked or confronted which is what we can humble ourselves and repent we can own our sin we can confess it or we can become prideful our flesh can flare up we can get angry possibly retaliate at the person confronting us sadly that's what happened look in verse 21. but they conspired against him and by command of the king or at Joash's command so this would be those princes that came and paid homage to him they stoned Zechariah with stones and notice where they did this I mean just terribly dark it was bad enough to murder him but they even murdered him in the court of the house of the Lord showing absolutely no regard for God whatsoever he chose to murder his stepbrother in the in the courtyard of the temple verse 22 says so this showed that Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada Zechariah's father had shown him but killed his own son and when he was dying when Zechariah was dying he said may the Lord see and avenge now since Joash responded this way look what God did in verse 23. at the end of the year the army of the Syrians came up against Joash they came to Judah and Jerusalem Uh, they attacked Judah and Jerusalem they destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus though the army of the Syrians had come with few men the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army referring to the army of Judah because Judah had forsaken the Lord the God of their fathers thus they executed judgment on Joash so you don't have to wonder here the Syrians came they had a considerably smaller army it seems the army of the nation of Judah was stronger and more powerful how could the Syrians end up getting this victory you're told that God is the one who gave them this victory he used this victory against Judah as a punishment for their apostasy the Syrians conquered Judah they took some amount of wealth and spoil sent it to Damascus which is the capital of the nation of Syria you would think that this is would be where Joash would be killed as the discipline for his sin but instead look how he ends up dying something even worse happens to him verse 25 when they had departed from him which is to say the Syrian army leaving him severely wounded his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and they killed him on his own bed and so he died and they buried him in the city of David but they did not bury him in the tombs of the Kings and so as people looked on it God didn't even have to use the Syrians for this they were so disgusted by uh, Joash's behavior in murdering his own stepbrother brother that while he was recovering on the bed they took it upon themselves to execute him there's an important lesson we can learn from Joash and this brings us to lesson two wisdom is walking in the truth we've learned Wisdom is walking in the truth we've learned. We must walk in the truth or the knowledge that we've learned. It's not enough to simply know. We've talked a handful of times about understanding wisdom and what it is, and really it's the application of knowledge or the application of truth that we've received. Joash is one of the premier examples of foolishness in that he failed to apply the knowledge or truth he had or he failed to be wise. It's important to consider how this could happen to him. I, we are in, for most of us, we're in a, pr- a pretty religious culture. Most of the people around us are Christians. We're involved in the church. We're raising our children in the church to know the Lord at the earliest possible time. That's our greatest desire for them. And so when we look at a young man like Joe Ash, who would grow up with such a religious background and then see him turn from the Lord, I think it would be very foolish for us not to ask how this could happen to him not to ask what we can learn from him to avoid this happening not just in our lives whether you're older because it happened to joash when he was older but also to prevent this from happening hopefully with our own children now the first thing i want to say is this has nothing to do with him being sheltered it would be a mistake to look at this account and think that the reason Joash turned from the Lord when he got older is because he was sheltered or he was protected from too much wickedness growing up in this very um you know holy or separate environment from the world I mean I can't think of anything more unique than this could you imagine where you grow up in the temple you're kept away from any of the windows because you can't even be seen you can't even you probably maybe who knows even if he went outside or how often he could nobody has ever been removed from the surrounding evil more than he was but even after growing up with this childhood he turned from the Lord and it doesn't but it's not because he was sheltered too much or overly protected there are plenty of young people who grow up and they've been exposed to too much wickedness or evil and that's what ends up having devastating consequences for them the real issue for him it's contained in verse 22. if you want to go ahead and look there and notice these important words the king did not remember the king did not remember this is how Joash ended up committing apostasy when it says he did not remember it doesn't mean it as literally as we might think it doesn't mean that he got older and then forgot these things that he had been taught it doesn't mean that he forgot how he grew up and it doesn't mean that he forgot how kindly his uh, adoptive parents and stepbrother had treated him what it means is that he didn't remember it or he didn't keep it in his heart it was truth or knowledge that never changed him inwardly so josh was able to be changed outwardly and we're able to see much of that outward change with him as he's growing up when he goes about fixing the you know temple and going about engaging in some amount of religious activity and doing many things that please the lord but he always only did those things outwardly or externally he never did any of them inwardly internally so he would be the young man that looks like he can answer all the questions correctly he can say and do all the right things he's the person you look at and he's never really getting in any trouble he knows how christian kids are supposed to act and how they're supposed to talk but he ends up not finishing well because none of these truths made it into his heart he has like that soil where the seed just lands on the top it just sort of shoots up springs up kind of quickly but then ends up burning out and so i'll tell you especially if any children are listening and i do hope you'll tune into me for a moment when i say this all of us as your parents want more than anything for that seed to reach deeply into your hearts every single parent has that same concern that as we are raising you and pointing you toward Christ that you're as you're hearing the gospel as the word of God is washing over you that the very worst thing that could happen is that all of that just stays on the surface and that it never finds its way into your hearts we're all familiar with stories of young people grow up in the church they're answering the questions correctly they 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 can tell you about these different accounts in scripture they seem familiar with the bible they do the right things but then they get older and they turn from the lord and that's every parent's greatest fear that they would have a child and that the gospel or the word of god never reached deeply into their hearts and so what we want more than anything is for that seed to go down deep for those roots to go down deep we think about the soil where this that happens with the seed and then ends up producing you know 30 60. A hundredfold of crop and so joash is that premier example of looking great outwardly but not being regenerate not having anything going on inwardly our next example these kings reveal it's hard to finish well example six uzziah you can go ahead and turn two chapters to the right to chapter 26 next week we'll look at chapter 25. couldn't fit it in this sermon but next week we will look at the chapter in between these two so in chapter 26 we're going to read about uzziah Go ahead and look with me in verse 4, 2 Chronicles 26, verse 4. It says, Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and then notice this, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Do you see any little hint there about the problems that he's going to have later in life? You do, because it says, as long as he sought the Lord, which begs the question, well, what happened? You know, was there a time that he didn't seek the Lord? It's just like with Joash. It says that God made him prosper, and that's almost an understatement. I think second only to Solomon and maybe David, there's no other king that looks like he did as much as Uzziah did. I mean, if you wondered about, like, a Renaissance man who seemed to succeed in so many different areas— then uzziah was that individual god allowed him i mean all of us want to succeed in whatever we put our hand to and uzziah seemed to be one of those people he he prospered there was nothing he did that went poorly for him i'm not going to read all the verses but just to kind of give you the highlights god gave him these great victories over the philistines he went out he was able to build cities he was uh had so many victories he started receiving tribute from vassal states he has this large army. He's famous. He creates military weapons and armor, um, these war machines or siege engines. So he's also a very competent inventor. And so he really was a Renaissance man in terms of all the things that he did. But look with me at verse 15. It says In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. His fame spread far for he was marvelous, marvelously helped now when it says right there that he was marvelously helped who helped him yeah God this doesn't mean his wife helped him it doesn't mean the army helped him or his cabinet or other commanders or some other nation this is referring to the help that God gave him but the problem is all this help it says he allowed it says till he was strong so when he was strong he grew proud to his destruction for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and he entered the temple of the Lord to build incense on the altar of incense now if we pause right here all of us want to n- none of us go about things desiring to fail we all want to succeed but what's one of the dangers with success or pros, huh pride one of the, there's it's a real grace from god at times to not be better <laughs> at certain things it's a real grace from god to fail at times or because maybe if you as a parent have you seen at times where your children have failed and you've actually thanked god for their failure because it kept them humble they learned from it I mean how terrible could that child end up being if they succeeded at every single thing they did ne- never learned to work their way through failure and then got older how proud they might be or how much difficulty they might have receiving correction and so it is a wonderful grace from God to fail at times and have to pick ourselves up dust ourselves off and try again and it seems that one of the problems for Uzziah was he never he never struggled he never failed at anything he became very strong one of the ironies his name actually means my strength is Jehovah my that was his name and so as long as Uzziah's strength was in God because God was the one helping him and as long as he recognized that and he didn't attribute all of his strength or greatness to himself things seemed to go very well for him but in verse 16 when it says till he was strong what that means strong in himself or confident in himself Believing that he was the one who was able to do all of these things. If you write in your Bible, you can circle the words, When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And you can write Proverbs 16:18. So it says, When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. And you can write Proverbs 16:18, which says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall i don't know if the chronicler or the author of chronicles because we don't know exactly who it is my if i had to guess i'd probably say it was ezra but whoever the author of chronicles was it's almost like he had proverbs 16 18 in mind when he wrote this about uzziah because uzziah looks like one of the greatest fulfillments of disobeying this verse in all of scripture it says when he was strong he became proud as destruction proverbs 16:18, pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall word for word Two other proverbs make the same point. Proverbs 11:2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 18:12, before destruction a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. So there's quite a few proverbs. There's even others I could give you about this exact topic that pride is going to lead to destruction, and Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And so when we see Uzziah acting this way, when we see him becoming proud because of his accomplishments and success what we're seeing is him failing to apply wisdom or we're seeing a good example of someone who did not finish well because he would not walk in the wisdom that he had been given he showed a real foolishness a real disregard for the truth that he should have known. all of us need to remember that anytime we experience I mean there's just that point at which you're very thankful for what God has done in your life what he's given you what he's allowed you to have or experience that these different blessings we get into trouble when suddenly we stop appreciating that God is the one who has given us these things we stop appreciating recognizing that we only have this because of the gracious hand of god and we start thinking kind of like nebuchadnezzar remember he said it is my hand that has done this i have built this great kingdom for myself and then god had to send him out to live like a wild animal until he was humbled so at that point at which we ever forget where we receive things or whoever allows us to receive any of the prosperity or success we have that ever came from anyone besides god especially we start to attribute it to ourselves. we know that we're going down a very very disastrous route that's going to lead to our destruction we become proud and our confidence now is in ourselves instead of in God and this brings us to lesson three wisdom keeps us from pride which leads to destruction the wise person doesn't become proud wisdom keeps us from pride which leads to destruction Uzziah wanted to go into the temple to offer incense now sometimes you look at someone do something in Scripture and you understand why I mean it's a reasonable temptation David's on a rooftop he sees this beautiful woman and we know he should rip his eyes away we understand that temptation everyone's tempted to lust or or look at people that they shouldn't but this is a temptation you say what was what was the temptation I mean why was it so tempting or like Achan. Achan sees attractive things in Jericho. He wants to steal them and bring them home. He says, you know, that makes sense. I hope I wouldn't do that in that situation. But I can understand why that was a temptation for him. I look at Uzziah and I just say, what was the temptation? I mean, why, why would you be so bent on going into the temple to offer incense? Well, my suspicion is Uzziah was a man who'd pretty much done everything he'd ever wanted to do. Anything his hand had touched had excelled for him he's able to be an inventor, he's able to be a builder, he's able to be a general and a commander, he's obviously able to be a king, probably offered some number of sacrifices, but he'd never been able to be a priest. And then one day he decided, you know what, I've done all these things, maybe I'm getting a little bored of those things, and now I want to go and I I want to do what priests get to do. And so he decides that he's going to go into the temple and he's going to offer this incense but the problem was there were three primary offices in the old testament prophet priest and king and god only wanted those three offices united in one man and that is his son jesus christ so you could have a man like david who could be a king and a prophet you could have a man like samuel who could be a prophet and a priest but you couldn't have someone to be a priest and king at the same time i don't think that melchizedek was a Preincarnate uh you know the pre-incarnate christ some people think that and they think that simply because melchizedek was a priest and a king but none of the kings of israel were ever meant to occupy both of those offices because christ was going to come and be that true and greater priest and king and what uzziah is doing here is destroying potentially this tremendous picture of christ and occupying the offices that only belong to him i told you in our last sermon that one of the things or probably, I should say, one of the themes with these kings is they didn't finish well because they became unteachable, unteachable. They would not receive correction or rebuke. In every single instance that I can see, these men had the opportunity to turn back from what they were doing because God graciously sent people to them to warn them. I mean, how wonderful is that to think that when we're going down, a course that we shouldn't, that more than likely we know we shouldn't, God is still gracious enough to reach out to us. With people who will turn us back from this course of destruction and it was no different from uzziah in fact probably one of the strongest and most dramatic rebukes that any of these kings received is recorded in the following verses watch god graciously reach out to uzziah here look at verse 17 and imagine what this looked like azariah the priest went into the temple after him he had 80 other priests with him priests of the lord who were men of valor or they were courageous and they withstood king uzziah and they said to him it is not for you uzziah to burn incense to the lord but it is for the priest to do the sons of aaron who are consecrated to burn incense get out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the lord god and so picture this this is a, would have been a truly dramatic scene to see when people when we're angry, we don't even have to talk about other people, we lose an amount of self-control. Anger, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not the only one that says that, right? When we start to get anger, we don't feel as in control of ourselves, right? And so Uzziah is furious at this moment. I mean, he's like, he's literally like a wild animal. He's lacking self-control. He's angry. And that's why it says that it was, these were men of valor that went in after him. It was a courageous thing for them to follow him into the temple because Uzziah was what? he's he is the most powerful the most famous and at this point the most prideful i mean think think of all that he could have done he could have imprisoned these men at best he could have executed them at worst which is why it says that they were men of valor it took a tremendous amount of courage for them to follow in this furious powerful king that had the authority to have all of them executed and withstand him like they didn't i'm thinking i mean how big is the holy of holies? to fit 80 people in there I mean where they like crammed in shoulder to shoulder I tried to out and that's how intent they were on trying to stop him from doing this and so they knew that despite the danger that they were in his sin justified this confrontation sadly Uzziah had no idea the blessing that it was for these men to withstand him because he didn't know what was going to happen And at this point even though he's acted very foolishly even though he's been proud his flesh has flared up has anything really bad happened to him no not really and so to that end god has been very merciful his pride and foolishness definitely warranted discipline but if he would have humbled himself at this moment god would have withheld the punishment that was about to come against him all he had to do was turn around and walk out and if he did that then the very worst thing that would have happened was he's embarrassed somewhat. he's humbled by these priests that came and confronted him the problem is he's so blinded by pride he thinks i've done this and i've done this i'm too great i'm too powerful i have succeeded in every single area of life there's no way that i'm going to let a group of lowly priests come and confront me like that along with prophets priests are the pictures of modesty and humility and he's a powerful king that wasn't going to allow them to tell him what to do or tell him what he couldn't do and so look at verse 19 it says he was angry I think it says this twice verse 19 then eye was angry he had a censer in his hand to burn incense and when he became angry told the same thing so we don't miss just how furious he was with the priests leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense verse 20 Azariah the priest and chief priests and all the priests looked at him and behold he was leprous in his forehead I can't say this is exactly what happened but I don't think that immediately Uzziah knew that the leprosy was on his was on him and it says it was on his forehead more than likely that's just because the part of his body that was exposed that the priest could see but Uzziah is probably looking at them and he sees the look on their faces which is basically what looks of horror and shock and he knows that there's something wrong and then he learns that he's now filled with leprosy it says that they rush him out quickly and he hurried himself to go out by this point even he wanted to go out because the Lord had struck him King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death and being a leper he lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord and Jotham his son was over the king's household governing the people of the land it's interesting to me Uzziah just looked like a man who'd been able to do everything he'd ever wanted and then he decided he was going to do some he wanted freedom that was not allowed or afforded to Kings and it's interesting that it made him a slave the freedom he wanted put him in bondage he wanted to be able to go into the temple in a way that he was not afforded and then he spends the rest of his life not being able to go to the temple at all being kept away from the whole rest of the nation because nobody would go near him because of his life we're saying, here's the point God gives us commands for our good it can look as though these commands inhibit our freedom but what they really do is they give us freedom they allow us Liberty I mean that's why in the New Testament God's Word is called the law of Liberty how many people have wanted to go outside God's commands thinking that it's going to give them greater freedom and when they disobeyed God's commands it made them what slaves because it introduced some addiction or some bondage into their lives they thought that what god said was too restrictive they didn't want to obey him they want to do what they want so they go outside what god allows for us what he knows is best for us and then they introduce sin into their lives that instead of allowing them freedom just simply makes them slaves and that was what and it is a great picture that he spends the rest of his life completely isolated from people Believe it or not, this was actually very merciful of God. Numbers 3.10 and 18.7 says, God said, you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They shall attend to the priesthood. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So he could have been very well have been killed for what he did here. Leprosy was a fitting disease for Uzziah to receive because at that moment when his body outwardly was filled with leprosy, it was pretty much just an accurate reflection of what? how he looked inwardly because of all his pride the lepr- I mean we've talked about pictures or types of sin and right along with leaven being a picture of sin the other great picture or type of sin is leprosy and all this all this leprosy was just a physical or outward manifestation of what was already going on inwardly with him now he's outwardly filled with leprosy just like he'd previously been inwardly filled with pride and anger look at verse 23 Uzziah slept with his fathers they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the Kings and they said of him he is a leper and Jotham his son reigned in this place and this is how he finished as a leper that's how everyone remembered him I mean it's tragic how could they have remembered him what could they have said he is Uzziah the general he is Uzziah the commander the inventor the builder of cities the Renaissance man and instead they just looked back and they said he is a leper soon after I became a Christian I hadn't I was raised in the Catholic Church never heard the word of God exposited as soon as I became a Christian I was very hungry and thirsty uh, for the word and someone gave me started giving me cassette sermons of a gentleman named Bob Coy he was a pastor with Calvary Chapel in Florida i never never met him never went to his church but he was a phenomenally gifted preacher and he'd bring forth these truths from God's Word. There were times, you know, I'd be listening to sermons on the way to school, and I'd sit in my car and almost be late getting into my classroom to set up just because I'm trying to hear, you know, a little bit more of this sermon from him. And I just thought he had such a, a tremendous ability to uh, preach God's Word. And I, I think his mega, his mega church was like the third biggest church in the nation at the time. And so I, I tended to kind of uh, follow him because he was so influential on me early in my Christian life. There was the pastor of the church that I attended. I didn't know anyone at that time. I didn't know John MacArthur. I didn't know um, R.C. Sproul. You know, I didn't know any, any of the pastor, Kevin DeYoung, or any of the guys I like to listen to now. And so at that time, it was just my pastor and then the cassettes that I was given to listen to Bob Coy. And so a couple of years ago, I happened to see someone shared that he had been committing adultery. And I think that he was addicted to pornography and was even accused of molesting this child in the church and he's in his 60s and so when people think about Bob Coy this is this is what they don't say they don't say he is a pastor they don't say he is a great expositor they don't don't say he is a faithful shepherd what do they say they say he is a adulterer maybe they say he is a child molester they say he is a porn addict and so the way that uzziah's life comes to an end and that's how he's remembered that's very much what can happen today with people i mean the way that they won't think of anything else good about Uzziah, they won't it seems i mean unless there's some repentance or confession from bob coy which i'm not aware of any then that's how he's going to be remembered and so it should cause us to to want to be remembered well i mean what better thing could people say of us when we come to the end of our lives, then he is a Christian. He is someone who loves Christ. She is a a woman who loved her husband, took care of her home and her kids, and served the Lord. I don't, could there be a better description? I mean, what, what more could we want said of us than for people to look back and say, he was a follower of Christ, he was a Christian. And so for the people that we're reading about here, sadly, they don't have that they don't have that recognition. They're just known for the terrible sins that ended up ruining their lives because they didn't finish well. If you think about the Christian life as a race that we're meant to finish well, it's very fitting or applicable because so many New Testament verses make this comparison. Here's just a few: First Corinthians nine twenty four. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it every athlete exercises self-control in all things they do it to receive a perishable wreath but we do it for an imperishable one so do not run aimlessly another verse acts twenty twenty four. paul says i don't account my life of any value nor is precious to myself if only i may finish my race in the ministry that i received from the lord second timothy 4 7 paul says i fought the good fight i have finished the race i have kept the faith paul wanted to criticize the galatians And he said they were not finishing well galatians 5 7 you were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth and so there's all these it's very fitting to think of the christian life as a race definitely not a sprint but more of a what more of a marathon right because the new testament makes that comparison so often so i was looking up some verses this past week wondering well if we're going to be talking so much about finishing well there's no real point in studying a bunch of people who finish poorly if we aren't learning how we can avoid that happening in our lives and ensure that we do finish well there was one verse that I want to share with you that seemed to provide some pretty tremendous instruction or encouragement regarding finishing well Um, before I do that I'm going to share briefly about my work history have you ever been able to look back on your life and see that there were things God was putting you through or teaching you or training you and you had no idea at that time that it was going to have real application for your life later You just kind of look back and you're like wow lord thank you for letting me go through that thank you for letting me experience that i had no idea of the of the application that would have for my christian life later but i do see your fingerprints on that now and so there was something in my life that i was able to do professionally that i never would have imagined was going to help me understand my relationship to christ better so real briefly i think the first job i had more than just you know watching someone's animals or a few hours a week but where i where i worked quite a few hours was doing landscaping for this woman in our church and that's pretty much when i realized i did not want to be a landscaper and then a few years later my second job i was working at a lumber mill i was 16. it was the first job i could actually drive to i think i was the only other teenager so it was like man i'm working with real men you know i'm like a real man now and and so this job was going really well until i got fired and i got fired and i blamed the spotted owl for this or i blamed the environmentalists because i don't know did it reach washington all the concern with the spotted owl okay so it's like everything's going great with this lumber mill that I'm working at and then suddenly they they come and tell me hey we need to let you go we can't cut any trees down anymore everyone's all afraid of the spotted owl and I told them I said hey you're only paying me six dollars an hour I'm actually a pretty good return on your investment you're paying these older guys a lot more than me and so I know I can't do quite as much as them but I I think it would be advantageous for you to keep me around because I I'm not making as much and it didn't work they still fired me anyway so my next job after that now we're kind of getting to a point here I started working at this Mexican restaurant and I loved that I was a waiter there and I, but it seemed I was starting to show up for work and the woman who owned the restaurant would say hey can you go out there today and can you take care of this stuff on the grounds and it was like each time I showed up for work there was more stuff for me to do around the restaurant outside to it got to the point where I just showed up and I wasn't even working in the restaurant anymore I was working outside and it seemed like I'd become a landscaper again and I didn't really like that and the worst part was I, was I was making the same per hour, but I didn't even get the tips that I did before when I was waiting tables. And so I was doing something that I liked less for even less money. The only really good thing about that was I learned that I really liked being a waiter. I liked waiting on tables and waiting on people. I enjoyed the interaction with people. And so that's what I continued doing after that through the rest of high school and college. <clears throat> so it was a profession that I developed a, a considerable amount of familiarity with. The reason i mentioned this is it helped me learn how to finish well because it helped me learn what's involved in being able to uh, have a relationship with christ and this brings us to lesson four finish well by waiting on the lord finish well by waiting on the lord as i was looking for verses dealing with running the race I found one about finishing well and i think it's the clearest place in scripture that tells us how to do so isaiah 40 verse 30. it says even the youths now youths these are the ones with like the greatest vigor and strength right young people young men they never tire they're filled filled with energy but it says even young people shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall verse 31 but those who wait on the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and they shall not faint and so it says here the people who wait on the lord are going to be able to finish well they're going to be given the strength they need they're going to have the energy to continue running the race and not stumble and fall so how does this happen it says waiting on the lord Well, what does that mean i mean if i say the word wait or waiting my suspicion is the connotations are pretty negative right we don't like waiting especially you know not in the united states where we can get things so quickly i say waiting you think of standing in line or something we need to we almost to understand this verse we almost have to completely remove our previous understanding of waiting we we have to embrace and this and this is what happened for me oh okay so if i wait on the lord well then i'm going to have all the strength and energy i need it wasn't it wasn't I mean, I remember this one time I was going to the DMV and I was standing in line and I mean, I must have been there for hours. That's the wrong idea of waiting. It's got to be the the waiting that a waiter does when he's waiting at a table. And I thought, wow, this, thank you, Lord. I was able to see, you know, from earlier in my life when I was doing that, what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ. Because this Hebrew word for wait, it means it's quava and it means to look for to hope or expect it also means to bind together and so the idea is our attention is bound or tied to the lord we are hoping in him we are expectant of him to act and so waiting on the lord it means looking to him hoping in him keeping our attention fixed on him so when we talk about waiting on the lord there's nothing passive about it it's not sitting there twiddling your thumbs it's a very active waiting if you think about good waiters, when they're at the table, they're waiting to see how best to do what? Serve. They're waiting to see what you want. They don't give you instructions. They're waiting for your instructions. Similarly, we don't give the Lord instructions. We don't tell the Lord. We're even told in James, don't tell the Lord what you're going to do. Don't say what you're going to do next week. Don't say what you're going to do next month because you don't know. Why does it tell us not to do it? It's presumptuous. It's arrogant to say what we're going to do instead god wants children that sit and say what do you want me to do i am waiting on you lord i am waiting for your instructions we do our best when we're waiting tables to please or to satisfy to get people what they want when they want it to be attentive to their needs one of the things i remember being told when i was a waiter is i'm always wrong they're always right (laughs) they the customer might be wrong you never make them feel wrong We don't get to argue with God. We don't get to to criticize what He does. We don't get to say, well, you should have done it this way, or I don't like this, or I know best. You don't get to do that as a waiter, and we don't get to do it in our relationships with Christ. Instead, we wait to see what He wants from us, and that's what's right. Now, if you're anything like me, most of the time in my life, when I have uh, grown weary or felt like I was going to faint, it's because I didn't wait just as this verse says if you wait you'll have your strength renewed the times when I was weary it's because I wasn't waiting I was acting impulsively I was running ahead of the Lord I was doing the things that he didn't want me to do and and so then it did become exhausting I was fatigued I did feel like I couldn't keep going but if we wait on the Lord we'll run the race because he will equip us he's not going to call us to do something or expect us to run a race and then and then not provide what we need to be able to finish it well if we are waiting on the Lord we're not going to run too far ahead we're not going to lag behind if we're waiting on the Lord where is our attention I mean if you think about a waiter who's standing by the side of the table the attention is on the customers if we're waiting on the Lord that's where our attention is we're fixed on him we're not looking at ourselves we're not looking at our circumstances We don't put our attention here we put our attention there and that's what he wants from us that's what allows us to run well then we'll be doing the things that he wants us to do let me close with this quote richard ferguson said waiting on the lord is serving the lord in whatever role he has chosen for us in spite of what we want or think it is faithfully discharging the duties of one who is called by christ to serve in trial hardship and persecution it is being willing to let christ teach us lessons of humility reliance on our heavenly father and even serving the best entrance of interest of one we might call our enemy waiting on the lord is dying daily to what we think we need to have need to do and what we need to say father we pray that by your grace we would finish well we thank you that you aren't calling us to run this race by ourselves but that by waiting on you we can have our strength renewed that we won't need to grow weary or faint. So help us to keep our attention fixed on you. Help us to be, be waiting on you actively to see what you desire for us and for our lives, knowing that only you know what's best. Prevent us from running ahead or lagging behind and help us to learn from these examples we read this morning, Lord. We don't want to be like these men who finish poorly. We want the gospel to be deep in our hearts, working, carrying us along in this race so we can finish in a manner that pleases you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.